So here we are, week three of our series, The Church I See. And if you noticed on your way in today, we got a new little sign that looks like this down at the landing. And it has one word on it. It has the word devoted. Devoted. That is the word for, did anybody have a word for the year? Okay, well, if you don't, I've got one for you. Some of you, some of you do that exercise. I've got one for you. It's the word devoted. It's kind of the word that you're going to hear some throughout the year. It's the word that's going to be at the core of kind of who we are this year as Life Center. And we want to see the church really the way that Jesus sees the church. It was Jesus who said those words. He said what? I will build what? My church. My church, not your church, not really my church, but it's Jesus who said those words. He said, I will build my church. And he simply said what? The gates of hell will not prevail. It's like, okay, he's serious about this. He didn't just say this to like, he's walking along and say, you know what, I think this would be a great idea. I'm going to build a church. No, he, this was his core of his ministry, This is the core of what it is that he came to do. He came to establish a church. Why did he have 12 disciples? Why did he have three closer ones and 12 and a group of 72? And he had all these people in this space. Why? Because he's like, I'm going to build a church. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. We're going to have a series here in a month or two around the Holy Spirit, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Not so much today, but, but I will build my church. And so we see then, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, the Jesus story, and then it turns into like a history book. It turns into a history book, and that fifth book is called what? The Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. The, the, what were they up to? Jesus left. What were, the, what were the 12, the 72, the 120? What was this early group of people? What were they up to? And it, and it starts to describe the birth of the church there in the book of Acts. And we get down to verse 42 of chapter 2, and it says what? They devoted themselves. Well, they devoted themselves. Well, what, they devoted themselves to what? It says to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we're going to end with today, and to prayer. See, a few verses above that, Peter's in the temple courts. He's just, he's having a great time. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus. Peter, the guy who's like, I'll never deny you. And then an hour later, he's like, I don't even know Jesus. I mean, you think you got problems. This guy couldn't make it 60 minutes. And Jesus praying in the garden. They all fell asleep. It's just like, this is nuts. And Peter then all of a sudden, through the power of the Holy Spirit, starts to share some good news. It's like, you may have seen Jesus because it wasn't happened that long ago. But he starts preaching, and it says 3,000 people were added to the church. Where would we put them all? Huh? Come on. Where would we put them all? What are we? We're going to get into that. But 3,000 were added, and then it says, then verse 42 came up, and it's like they were were added, and then they kind of like, wow, we got 3,000. Let's get ourselves into some smaller spaces. And they gathered themselves in some smaller spaces. Why do we do life groups? Why do we have groups for men, women? Why do we do something smaller than this? Do you know, like, it's impossible for us to know everybody in this room. It's not possible. But you can slowly get yourself into a smaller sense of community, and you can find a place where someone knows you. So they got into those smaller groups for some, for some teaching, for some relationship building, to share a meal together, and to pray. 
And, and so where have we been so far in this series? A couple places. We've been to simply the place that the church is both a place and it's people. It's people becoming the church. This is great. I love these four walls. People walk in here and they're like, man, this thing is awesome. This is a cool space. I like the space, but I've been in here on the week and it's just me. It's kind of empty. It's empty. Why? Because the church is not just a place. The church is really people. It's people becoming the church. And the church, what we talked about last week, was the church is for all generations. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to other people. There's a cliche that, if you've been in church, it simply was this. Like, we're only one generation away from what? Extinction. Extinction. So we better be bringing some other people along because... The death rate, I just found out this week, is 100%. It's 100%. I don't make light of that. I don't, I, scripture is clear. I don't, I'm not making light of anything. But, it, but, it's, but it's true. And so I want to start today in Jeremiah chapter 29. So you got a Bible, you can go there, it'll be on the screen. And, and this is the historical setting, it's a time in history, Israel has been conquered. If you go back in the Old Testament and you read some of the history, Israel's been conquered at 586 B.C. Israel was overtaken by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar. Think, uh, think Daniel, that time of life, Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel and his friends, his friends in the fiery furnace. It's that moment. It's that moment. It goes on a little longer because Babylon gets overtaken, and then the Assyrians come in. So think like anybody heard of Esther before, or think Nehemiah. All those are kind of in this space of time. And the thought, these people were taken from their homeland and they were taken to Babylon. And the thought during this time, it's called the exile or the exilic period, for those of you that are studying at home. And, uh, and the solution they thought to the exile was to wait it out and return to their homeland in Jerusalem, and everything that they knew, everything that they loved, everything that was at the center of their, of their whole life, they got uprooted, and they're like, man, if we could just get back to Jerusalem, everything's going to be great. Our, our temple is there, which got destroyed, but everything's going to be great. You ever have a space where it's like, if I could just get there, everything's going to be fine? We do that. We get in those places, and it's like, if I could get there, everything is going to be okay. And these, these people were in exile, and they're like, we're just going to wait it out. Man, oh, 20 years, I think we can wait it out. And God's like, no, that's not going to be the way it is. It's actually going to be 70 years. You're going to be in this space for a while. And, but God has a purpose for their time in exile. Here's what he says in 29. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. Build homes and plan to stay. They were doing everything possible to get out of there. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that they may have, like you said, many grandchildren. And do not dwindle away. He didn't want, God didn't want his people to shrink. He wanted them to prosper. And then verse 7, I love verse 7. It says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare, for its welfare will determine your welfare. 
Huh? Work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. And this is, then these other people were trying to convince them it wasn't going to happen. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says in verse 10. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Now, this verse coming up, you've probably heard this one before, but most of you are just quoting it, and you're not necessarily living the life of an exile. So here it is. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Excellent verse, but you got to read it where it came from. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will, be, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, where I sent you, and will bring you home again to your own land. What an incredible picture in these verses. The picture is this, living where God has you. How often do we wish we were somebody somewhere else, or somebody else too, but maybe somewhere else. But, but how often do we wish we were somewhere else or some other space, and all of a sudden God's like, how about you live life right where you are? See, there's an image we find in the Bible that as followers of Jesus, we carry a dual citizenship. The scripture talks, what, what's the Lord's prayer say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven there's a kingdom and a kingdom and there's a couple of them and and paul in one of his letters to the corinthians he describes jesus followers as what he describes them as christ ambassadors what is an ambassador i looked it up simple definition it's an authorized messenger representative and and and, and oftentimes there's a time frame on the position well how is it that god wants us to live here and now See, when we say yes to Jesus and we say yes to his mission, we say yes to his church, we, we, we got to move into that space where it goes beyond just a connection that leads towards eternity, but there, there, we have to also include the plan and purpose for our time here on earth. Because if it was just like yes to Jesus and that was it, I think we would just leave. I think Jesus just, it'd be less people probably saying yes at the moment. They just wait till the right time. But I think there'd be this like, if you said yes to Jesus, you've secured this space with him in this relationship. He's like, great, I got you, let's go. But no, he has us here. We are here for a reason. As a, as a child growing up in church, I don't know if anybody ever sang this song before. It just The lyrics were simply like, this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. That is, a, that is not a mentality of someone who needs to build houses. That's not a mentality of someone who needs to plant gardens. That's not a mentality of someone who needs to multiply. That's somebody who's like, I'm trying to get out of here. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. How soon can I get out of this world to get to what God has promised in the future? I think I got some bad theology as a kid. I don't think that's what the theology is that we see there in Jeremiah. There's a book I've read a couple times over the years. It's just entitled An, An Unstoppable Force. And, and the subtitle is simply this, Daring to Become the Church God Had in Mind. And I'll, I'll, I want to pull a couple of quotes this morning because I, 
just small sentences, but they really have, over the years, have just kind of stuck with me. The one is simply this. The church became a refuge from the world rather than a force in the world. See, how often do we just like, oh, hey, we're in. We got the, it's a refuge. And then the second, kind of a similar statement, the church became a fortress from the world rather than the hope of the world. You and I are carriers of the good news. Why does Rick drag his self all over the world into spots that you and I can't even pronounce, let alone go to? Because, because it's the hope of the world. Jesus said, I will build my church. He, he set forward this hopeful place. It's the hope of the world. This good news of Jesus is indeed the hope of the world. You and I are called to be a force and a hope. And it leads us to our, our big idea today, and it's simply this. The church I see is not just a church in a city. It is a church for our city. Why are we here? Why are we here? This is awesome. It's great to hang out together, but why really are we here? See, there's a big difference of being in a city and being for a city. A, a, a probing question that you kind of have to ask is this. If we cease to exist, would our city notice? That's a tough question. That is a tough, it's not, it's not about, it's not to put heap anything on us. It's just a question to ask. I want to take a deeper look this morning as why is it that we exist? Why is the church here? I, uh, I, brought, a, I, I brought a little, illustri- I've got a couple of illustrations. So this one is a, uh, a fishbowl, dollar, dollar bowl from the dollar store and two 16-cent fish. So <laughs> I don't know how long they're going to live, but they made, it till this, they made it from yesterday to this morning. So... See, there's a tension on why we're here. There's a tension on why we're here represented by that bowl. See, we can either be, uh, there's, there's the keeper of the tank. It's not really a tank, but there's the keeper of the fish tank. Or there's the tension of being released as fishers of men. Two different approaches to this space. What's, what's great about a fish tank? I had to go to a couple pet stores yesterday to find the 16-cent fishes. I, I didn't want to spend more. But uh, <laughs> the illustration was worth 32 cents and a dollar. And then my daughter made me buy food. So that, that like quadrupled my price. So I have some fish flakes back here that more than enough to feed these guys for years. So it was, I had a buck 32 in this illustration, and then it went up to like four bucks. So anyway... What about a fish tank? I mean, I visited a couple pet stores, and I get this isn't a full aquarium setup, but a fish tank, it's, it's warm, it's comfortable, it's familiar, it's safe. Food, I got some food back here. I, I, I did feed them this morning, but food's regularly provided, and uh, someone cleans up your mess. Someone cleans up your mess. That's what life in a fish tank is. That's life in... A fish tank. But Jesus calls us to something way bigger than life in the fish tank. He calls us into a space where he says, what? Come follow me, and what? I'll show you how to fish for people. So you have to decide, am I living in the tank, 
Or am I going to jump on to this mission that Jesus has towards transformation? He's invited us into what he's up to. And, and, and think about a tank. If I don't like the tank I'm in, I can just go visit another tank. Huh? I can transplant myself to another tank. Yeah, well, that tank, the food isn't all that good over there. I wonder if they have better food at this tank. I wonder if the wa- water's a little bit warmer. I wonder if they, if they clean the tank a little more regularly. And, and, and so all of a sudden, but we, Jesus has called us into something way bigger. See, the church, see, the culture mindset is that we exist for ourselves. We're just here to perpetuate something. But the question is, do we want a tank for us or transformation for all? And that's where we live. There's a story tucked in the middle of the Old Testament. It's about a character named Jonah. Maybe you've heard of him before. It's a childhood favorite. I mean, it's, if you read it, it's, we, we, we sometimes kind of uh, we, we soften some of the true backstory with the kids. And so it's like we really like the fact that the guy got swallowed by a big fish and spit up. And we, that's it. I mean, we cartoon it. We do all kinds of things with it. It's actually a really significant story. And we're not going to get into all of it today. But, but what we see is that God sends Jonah to a city for the city's sake. And Jonah wanted to do anything possible but to go to the city. Why did he go in the exact opposite direction? Why did he try everything possible not to go to Nineveh? There's a lot of backstory. It was the Assyrians. They were wicked people. They had been hard on him. It was the last place he really wanted to go and spread the good news. But, but in the midst of that, he comes into Nineveh finally, long circuitous route to get there. And then it says, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowd, what? 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Amen. <laughs> like that was his sermon. That's all we have recorded. It's he says he took a day to walk through the place. It was 120,000 people. And he just gets up and he's like, hey, you are all going to be destroyed. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. You guys are going down. This is amazing. God is going to destroy you. Amen. So be it. That was his dream. So his message is just a tad bit harsh. He's got no grace in there. He's got no mercy in there. He's just like, you guys are going down. And he seemed to enjoy preaching with this sense of wrath. You ever heard a similar message? Come on, we all have. Turn or burn. Get right or get left. I mean, (laughs) the megaphone man. I'm not picking on him, but 40 days from now, you will be destroyed. That's the message I hear. And so God, all of a sudden, comes back, and God's response is different than Jonah's response. Aren't you thankful? That really, that should be the message we get, but God has a different message. So it picks up and says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. He said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I went the opposite direction to Tarshish, because I knew, 
I knew you had grace. I knew you had mercy. You were a compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. And, and Jonah's like, I knew that was going to happen. And then what does he say? Just kill me now, Lord. Just, you can't make this stuff up. This, you can't, this is like rich. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen, which was, you're going to die. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? What a tension. What a tension Jonah's living in. He's like, you guys are going to die. I love it. God's like, hold on, hold on. I've got some mercy. I got some compassion. I'm a little slower than you to get angry. I'm filled with unfailing love. You need some of that? Do you need some of what God is full of? What an interesting dialogue here and his reluctance to reach into this group of people and his anger over God's response. God's mercy and compassion is overwhelming for Jonah. And the story goes on and Jonah's sulking on the outskirts of town. He's waiting for God's, for the hammer to fall. He's just like, I hope they get it. And then God provides in the midst of him, he's waiting, he provides a leafy plant. And he gardeners, this plant just kind of miraculously grew, made some shade. So Jonah's like, he's kind of cranky to start with, and now at least he's got some shade to be cranky under. And so this plant grows up, it gives him some shade, and then a worm comes along and eats the plant and takes away his shade. And so Jonah now is sitting in the hot sun. He's already angry about all this, and what does he say? Take my life. Again, he's offered the Lord, just like, kill me now. And then it picks up in verse 9 of chapter 4, and it says, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. (laughs) Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Catch this, not to mention all the animals. All dogs may go to heaven. Shouldn't I feel so... Come on, and cats, and cats. Come on. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? That's the end of the story. God drops the mic. There's no more. That's it. That, you, read, like, you can read Jonah in about four minutes, the whole story that we have recorded. And then God's just like, that's his mic drop. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? We have no idea where it went from there, but that's where it ends. But here's Jonah. He has an emotional attachment to a plant. He does. He does. It's a plant that grew, thrived, and died in a matter of hours. And God is saying this to Jonah. You weep over this plant. My compassion is for People, he has an emotional attachment to this plant to the point that like this plant died, go ahead and take my life. And, and we, we laugh, we laugh at Jonah, but I'm telling you, you and I got some plants in our life. I was talking about this with my wife yesterday and it's just like, yeah, we've all got some plants in our life that... It's like, hey, the plant's gone. You might as well take my life. 
And God's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. My compassion, my heart is for people. So as you read through the life of Jesus, often it simply says he looked out on the people and he what? He had compassion. Compassion is simply defined as a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. See, it's not only seeing it, but it's also wanting to take some action. See, we can all see things. I think that's more of a pity response. Oh, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you. Oh, I feel sorry for you. No, that's just like there's an end to that one. Compassion is like, what can I do? Compassion is how can I step in? Compassion is what can I, what step can I take to come alongside of you? And as we choose to say yes to Jesus and his mission, he offers us an opportunity to choose to live a life of compassion. It's a feeling and an action. How often do you find yourself attached to the plant? It's a preference. It's a particular way things have to be done. And in the midst of your compassion, you miss seeing people for the way God sees them. The bottom line is this. God sends Jonah to a city for the city's sake, not for Jonah's comfort. So three quick thoughts. Number one, we're in the city to love the city. We're in the city to love the city. Our love for the city is based on the simple truth that God loved us long before we could ever love him. Romans 5.8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Rao what? Rao we were still sinners. None of us had our act together before Jesus died for us. He set the course. And we have the opportunity to pass on what we've received. Another quote from that book, it just simply said, before we can even begin to explore how the church can really live, we must first be willing to die. We must be willing to die to our conveniences, our traditions, and our preferences. Everything that places us above others. Wow. God's love for us, what? He'd equated to death. Where is Jesus inviting you to die in order to love? Uh, Second thought, we're in the city to serve the city. Matthew 20, 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another quote out of the book, it just said, the life of the church is the heart of God. The heart of God is to serve a broken world. When Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist, he reminded us that only he could wash away sin. The church cannot live when the heart of God is not beating within her. God's heartbeat is to seek and save that which is lost. The church exists to serve as the body of Christ, and it's through this commitment to serve that we're forced to engage our culture. The serving that we're called to requires direct contact. See, the opportunity to serve is both collective, but it's also individual. We are people becoming the church. We, are, we, we will scatter here in a minute. And uh, I, I grabbed a salt shaker from downstairs. Scripture calls us the salt of the earth. So this is us right now. This is us. A bunch of salt sitting in a room. We're going to leave in a few minutes. You're like, please hurry it up. I got to go. We're getting there. We're getting there, okay? But when we leave, it's this. Where are you going this week? You going to work? You going to school? Who are you connecting with? Here we go. Here we go. We have to get out of the salt shaker. Did anybody want to come up and just take a swig of this? Or I'll get the lid off. Huh? Just like, 
No, you'd, you'd hate it. It's too much salt at one time. But Jesus calls us to get out of the salt shaker. Yeah, this is great. We need this. We need each other. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. But man, in a few minutes, come on. We're leaving. What's Jesus calling us to? We're a church not in the city. We're for the city. What does it look like for us to allow ourselves to get a little bit out of the shaker here? We're all going someplace different this week. We, our paths may periodically cross, but we're going to end up somewhere where the salt needs to be because Jesus leads and guides us to where he needs us. He's always at work. He's always on mission, and he's invited us to his mission. Come on, let's go. This is fine, but it's not life. This right here, this is what Jesus has called us to. And so we move to that place, and we scatter. And finally, we're in a city to reach the city. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The transformation that Jesus offers us is to new life, to go from death and to life. This building, I believe, has been sitting on this corner at 35th and Mullen since 1929. Anybody here when it opened? Most of us know. Most of us know. You guys have been around. How many years have you been here, Lee? 28. Lee's been here 28 years. 35th and Mullen. Bless you, Lee, for your commitment to the work of God in this geographic location. So I think he's got the longest space of tenure in this actual facility. Life Center itself has been in Tacoma for 101 years. 101 years. Uh, for 50 years, we're doing a little revision to some of our governing documents, and so we're getting the name officially to be called Life Center. But, but for 50 years, this place has been called Life Center. It's been called Life Center. Why? Because it needs to be a space that shifts from death to life. Jesus offers that opportunity of transforming and giving a relationship to Jesus. The empowering words of Jesus from 2,000 years ago are just as empowering today. Therefore, go and make disciples. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's as you go. As you go. As you go. So the going may not require a shift in location or social setting, but going also involves risk and vulnerability. See, mission is for every person who belongs to Jesus. God is ascending God. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you. I am sending you. And we're going we're gonna to end our gathering today and receive communion. Because a little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into a city, walked into a space. He walked into a time, and he, and he focused on his mission. And his mission involved uh, suffering. His mission involved sacrifice. But it was for a purpose. His, his mission wasn't to create a tank. When he said, I will build my church, it wasn't like, hey, I'm going to really build a really cool fish tank. You know, when he said, I will build my church, he said, I'm building a space of transformation. I'm building an opportunity that lives can be changed. I'm building an opportunity that people can move from death into life. That's what I am here for. That's what I'm all about. And he gives us that same mission, the opportunity to be involved in what he's up to, to see people transformed. 
And we have to decide if we're building a tank or we're going to embrace the call and lead into a space where transformation is expected and transformation is, is possible and transformation is happening. And so we're going to take this moment. We're going to receive communion this morning. And as we take this moment, we'll wrap this up. The prayer that I want us to have around this communion moment is simply this, that we would lean to a place of transformation that not only is for us, and we celebrate it through communion, but it's a place of transformation that's for all people. That we truly would recognize what it looks like to get a little bit out of the tank, allow ourselves to get out of the salt shaker a little bit, and to say yes to what Jesus is up to, because he's invited each of us to join him on his mission. And we have the opportunity to be a church, not just in a city, but we have an opportunity to be in a church for the city. And so these guys are going to come and serve us. Hold on to it. We'll receive communion together here in just a moment as we pray for that transformation for all people. Jesus sat with his uh, closest followers, the 12, soon to be 11, and uh, shared this meal with them. 
And it was the beginning of something that was way beyond what you and I could ever imagine. Even what those 11 could imagine, it, it's beyond what they could think. Because Jesus said, I'll build my church. And as he sat at that table, he gave an, a simple illustration of what it was all about. And the great thing is, you and I are sitting at a table today, literally with the bread and the cup, because of what he did 2,000 years ago. Because someone grabbed a hold of that message, and they carried it on, and it spread, and it continues to spread. And you and I can sit here in this space on this Sunday and receive communion because of what was launched back then. Jesus said, I will build my church. Not just in the city, but for the city. And today, as we receive communion, we're, we're receiving it for ourselves, but I want us also to receive it for those who aren't at the table yet. There's a lot of room at God's table. No one's excluded. Everybody has a seat. And you and I are part of inviting people to the table. It's like, he doesn't have a plan B. We're it. We're, we're the plan. And it's like, I want everyone to be at my table. Read the Gospels, it's full of it. And so Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had broke it, he blessed it. And he simply said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he took a cup. He blessed it as well. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's a new day. I will build my church. I'm coming to offer you a new life. I'm sending my Holy Spirit to empower you to carry on this message and this mission of spreading the good news to all people. That you would love them, that you would serve them, that you would reach them. And he's like, join me. Thank you for being at my table. Let's take the cup together. So Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather. And in, the, in, the, in a moment, we're scattering. We're going to get out of the salt shaker. We're going to get out of the tank. And we're moving into spaces of transformation. We're moving into spaces where you've invited us to join you in what you're up to. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. May we be sensitive and may we be receptive this week to everything that you want to do in and through us, through your power. Because you're gonna, we're going to encounter people this week that this thought, these moments, we're going to come back to mind. And all of a sudden, we're going to realize, like, Jesus, I see what you're up to. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to have a couple people up here ready to pray for you. If you'd like prayer, feel free to come up. On your way out, there's a couple sign-up sheets, life groups. Find a smaller group. If you want to help be a part of what we're getting ready to launch for men and women, there's a sign up there. And then this Saturday is Growth Track. Please come see me, and I'd love to hang out with you for a few minutes, and we'll just get a, it's a conversation, and we'll have a good chance to just kind of get better acquainted. And we thank you, and uh, you guys have a great day.